This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming up at noon, Senator Ron Johnson will be holding a meeting, uh, a committee meeting on the border, which is a tragic uh, failure, epic failure by an administration re- uh, refusing to address it, only uh, to provide ICE as a, a travel agency, uh, Border Patrol unsupported, underfinanced, under-resourced, impossible vaccine mandates. And then you have over 2 million people coming in 2021 and even more coming now. Senator Ron Johnson will be with us live. Rich Lowry, right after that, uh, Rich Lowry is editor of the National Review. And we're watching some of the proceedings now of the funeral about to take place of that second slain officer in New York City at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Thousands have filled up Fifth Avenue in New York. It's a sea of blue. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Not all opinions are created equal. You think about major newsrooms like CNN. They work hard on verified information about COVID-19. And then you have talk show stars like Joe Rogan who make it up as they go along. And because figures like Rogan are trusted by people that don't trust real newsrooms, we have a tension, a problem that's much bigger than Spotify. Never has more inaccuracies been spouted out than just now Brian Selter of CNN. Roughing up Rogan. White House wants more limits on Spotify superstar Rogue Joe Rogan as another washed-up rocker pulls his music and pressure builds for Taylor Swift to do the same over so-called disinformation. Really? Meanwhile, in a directly related story, a Johns Hopkins study shows COVID lockdowns and school closures, which we were told were the rule of the land, don't work. Is that disinformation? Try new information. Try correct information. Rogan lives. Number two. Just hours before the Taliban took control of Afghanistan last summer, senior Biden administration officials were frankly scrambling to figure out some actions they needed to take in order to pull off a mass civilian evacuation. And that's according to leaked notes from a White House Situation Room meeting as compiled by NSC officials that Axios has obtained. Uglier than we thought. Details of the incompetence and chaos in the fall of Kabul revealed uh, in the first of many explosive, sickening reports that shows President Biden's ignorance and idiocy at all levels. He embarrassed our nation, cost the lives of thousands, along with the loss of $40 billion in military equipment to a terrorist Taliban. Number one. He will be joined on the trip by Attorney General Garland to talk about the steps the administration has taken so far to reduce gun crime and how we can be a strong partner for New York City and other cities grappling with increased gun violence over the past two years. Yeah, how about the tune of 38 percent violence all around just this year alone? When is enough enough? Cops being shot, killed, and carjacked. It's massive wave of men and women in dress blues descend on New York City for the funeral of William Moore, Wilbert Marler, 
a crime rate as crime rages in New York City. Twenty two biggest cities are, are going up as well. At what point will the Biden administration stop cackling and start cracking down on crime? Uh, that's a question I like to pose to our uh, first guest. He is Senator Ron Johnson. Senator, when do you think this administration is going to take crime seriously? Uh, never. You know, what, what you'll find, Brian, you know, Democrats, liberals always love uh, blaming the gun and exonerating the shooter. And they'll continue to do that. I mean, they, they call for all these gun laws and then they don't prosecute the criminals that violate the laws. So in, in uh, Milwaukee, we've had three police officers shot in the last couple of weeks. It's almost open season on law enforcement. And, you know, that's an attitude fostered by leftists that want to defund police. You know, think police is, is really the cause of all the problems, all the you know, ills in these Democrat-controlled uh, inner cities. It, again, they just deny reality. They, they don't have a clue how to, how to stop crime. What, what they do is all their policies foster. You know, we not only have catch and release at the border, we have catch and release in our criminal justice system. You know, the low bail, no bail policies pushed by Democrat policies. You know, Vice President uh, Harris was asking people to contribute to a fund that would bail out the Minneapolis rioters. You know, so many Democrats have pushed no bail, low bail. And the result in Waukesha, Wisconsin, a Christmas parade where little children are sand curb waiting to watch Santa Claus. They watched a slaughter that never should have happened because that murderer was let out on low bail, never should have been on the streets, never should have committed that crime. But again, these things just don't happen. This rising crime, rising inflation across the board, all these disasters are the direct result of Democrat policies, Democrat governance. And I'm only I'm hoping and praying America is waking up to their scam. I mean, you look at all these major cities, they got these permissive DAs and they have mayors that uh, want to blame everybody else. And the only thing they have in common is rising crime on all levels. They don't want to crack down the quality of life crime. So no one has a quality of life. Real quick on Afghanistan, bottom line, uh, outside advisors were sounding the alarm as the Taliban swept through the provincial capitals. But inside the Biden administrations, it's exposed yesterday. Quote, I kept I kept being told by people in the White House, this according to Matt Zeller, former CIA officer, that the thing we're supposed to be most concerned about is optics of a chaotic evacuation. By the way, that's exactly what they got. They treated us like we were chicken little. They didn't believe the sky was falling. Matt Zeller, one of the many people trying to tell them that Afghanistan was falling apart, that that army would not stand, that you have to start making maneuvers to get people out of there. They didn't at all. When are we going to get the ugly details of the reality that what was happening at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? Well, you know, I've been trying to do oversight for the last seven years, and it's like pulling teeth, getting information out of agencies, even when you have a Republican as president. So the, the deep state doesn't give up its secrets very easily. But does this surprise anybody? Let's face it, uh, Obama's defense secretary, Robert Gates, in his book said that uh, Joe Biden has been wrong on every major foreign policy uh, decision for the last four decades. Uh, and he's continued to surround himself with the same advisors that were right, you know, wrong right with him. So this shouldn't surprise anybody, the weakness that uh, he is displaying the weakness that he is imposing on America. And again, as Ronald Reagan said, you achieve peace through strength. Strength begins with economic strength. And so out of control deficit spending, sparking inflation, open borders, sparking 
an unbelievable flow of illegal immigrants. All this weakens America. And then the embarrassing, dangerous uh, surrender in Afghanistan just signals to our adversaries. Now's the time to move. So does it surprise anybody that Russia is surrounding Ukraine? China is overflying uh, Taiwan territories. Iran's more active in Yemen. North Korea's testing weapons. Does it surprise anybody? It shouldn't. This is what you get when you elect people like Joe Biden, the moderate, who's really a radical leftist, and they start imposing their policy prescriptions that are disastrous for America. So, uh, Senator, what's happening at noon today? Well, we're, we're holding a press conference to highlight uh, the crisis on the border that, of course, other than Fox News, like nobody else is covering it. So you, you mentioned two million. Now they call them, by the way, encounters. You know, under the previous administration, we called these apprehensions. But it's, it's such a catch and release. It's not even catching anymore. Now they just encounter two million illegal immigrants. They, they did return about half of them. But we also have 344,000 known gotaways. We have no idea how many unknown gotaways. So that, that just translates of what we know about about 6,500 people per day entering this country illegally, being processed and dispersed, or just getting away without being processed at all. 6,500 a day. That, that's a large caravan every day. And again, that doesn't even account for the unknown gotaways probably the really dangerous criminals. We watch, uh, we watch Mayorkas get blistered by some of the border agents. Then we watch the border chief get blistered by some of the border agents. They are fed up. They're trying to do their job, and they can't. Yesterday, the CBP agents in Del Rio sector apprehended 15 people from Pakistan, Syria, China, and Taria, Sudan, Tajikistan, and Uzbekistan. I mean, this is the, this is the United Nations coming through our border. No, and you've got gang activity. Uh, you know, listen, the vice president was on my committee when I held more than three dozen hearings on the crisis on the border. And, and it wasn't wasn't anywhere near this bad. But she she should have known because we had testimony that they'll sell children for eighty one dollars to create a family unit to exploit our asylum laws. She knows. And the Biden administration knows about the sex trafficking, the human trafficking, the drug trafficking, the gangs, MS-13 and other gangs infiltrating this country, settling down in, in many in. A city near you, let's put it that way, a municipality or town near you. This is We have no idea where these people are going. We have no idea where they're all settling. And this represents a significant homeland security threat, national security threat. And the Biden administration is doing nothing, and the media is just shrugging. They got their guy elected. Remember this guy who campaigned from the, his basement? They got him elected as a moderate. Now they're going to cover up for all the disasters that have been created by his uh, policies. Uh, talking to Senator Ron Johnson, who's running for election, wants six more years. They're going to try to knock you out because you were a pain in their neck. I want to talk about, if I can, uh, COVID-19. So Johns Hopkins does a study. You know, Mike uh, Bloomberg went there, gives him about a billion dollars a day. And they said, hey, do lockdowns work? So it turns out that lockdown shutdowns, according to Johns Hopkins, were of no use. They decreased that's 0.002%, but they destroyed the economy. So you have this study come up, and it shows that all the sacrifices we made, the lockdown, here's a quote, lockdowns in the U.S. and Europe had little or no impact to reduce deaths from COVID-19. That, according to Hopkins, the lockdowns during the early phase of the pandemic in 2020 reduced COVID-19 mortality by 0.2%. But since that time, nothing 
We find no evidence that lockdowns, school closures, border closures, limited gatherings have any noticeable effect on COVID-19 mortality. Economic activity, raising unemployment, reducing schooling, causing political unrest, contributing to domestic violence, undermining liberal democracy, all took place at a sacrifice for absolutely nothing. We have to lift all these restrictions like Denmark, like the U.K., well, Brian, I guess it's nice to have a study, but I didn't need a study. I wrote an op-ed in March of, of uh, 2020, the start of the pandemic, warning against these shutdowns. You know, I said, you know, we, we tragically lose 36,000 people here on the highways, but we don't shut our highways down because we can't. You know, we, we needed to cope with COVID responsibly. Take a look at who's really at risk. And we knew this very early on. It was mainly the elderly, people, certain comorbidities. So protect them. Isolate the infected, and the rest of us should have carried on with our life. But I don't know how anybody or why anybody needs a study. We've had 900,000 Americans supposedly die with or from COVID, 5.6 million people globally. Our response to the pandemic has created, I mean, the human toll, the economic devastation, uh, what we've done to our children. I mean, how could anybody look at this and say, oh, yeah, this is a successful response? No, it's been a miserable failure. Why would anybody keep listening to the Fauci's of the world? It just boggles my mind, and it's galling to me. I'm getting sick and tired of having the pejorative used against me and others who are just revealing the truth, you know, spreading this misinformation. What? What, what are we saying that's not true? So Joe Rogan, you know, yeah, Joe Rogan that, comes in. You know, yeah, Joe Rogan's been accused of using misinformation by by just interviewing people, by interviewing people and finding out their side of the story. So he said, I, he brought up a point. And he said, listen, what is misinformation? He said, wearing a mask will keep you safe. That's not true. He says, uh, the you know, this virus came from uh, nature. That's not true. Uh, if you have vaccinated, you can't get and you can't spread the virus. Well, that's not true. Now we find out they told us if you lock down and you separate and keep your distance, you're not going to spread this virus. Now we find out that's not true. So Jen Psaki is not okay with that. She's still looking for Spotify to crack down further. Cut 17. This disclaimer, it's a positive step, but we want every platform to continue doing more to call out mis- and disinformation while also uplifting accurate information. Our hope is that all major tech platforms and all major news sources, for that matter, be responsible and be vigilant to ensure the American people have access to accurate information on something as significant as COVID-19. That certainly includes Spotify. Well, however she wants to say it. So what, what is your take on this? They're not letting up. Well, first of all, are they going to censor the president? President Biden went in June of 2021. He said, if you get vaccinated, you won't get sick. Yep. I mean, I knew that was inaccurate back then. I was calling him out back then. You know, I get vilified. I get censored for telling the truth. So here's what we're up against, Brian, is these purveyors, the real purveyors of misinformation. And you're just listing all the things that I've been right about, you've been right about, they've been wrong about. But the purveyors of this misinformation, the people that have promoted the, sh- the shutdowns, that refuse to look at vaccine injuries, that have that have imposed the mandates that are idiotic when you know you can get infected and transmit the disease, even if you're fully vaccinated. Those individuals can't afford to be proven wrong. The people that sabotage early treatment, if it's proven these cheap, generic, wide, widely available drugs work, and they do work, it'll be devastating. The body count is way too high. So these people who control the media, control the social media, they can't afford to be proven wrong. And, Brian, 
they have the power to make it very difficult to be proven wrong. That's why you see them digging in. That's why that they're doubling down. They'll never admit that they were wrong. They'll shift their story a little bit. Remember the vaccines. It was certainly implied that if you get the vaccine, 95 percent of you will not get COVID. Well, when that was proven false, they shifted their story. Oh, we never said that. What we meant is if you get the vaccine, you'll have reduced severity of symptoms, reduced death. Now, I don't know to what extent that's true, but I do know that fully vaccinated, fully boosted people are getting infected. They are dying in England. We just don't have the, the data here in the U.S. because our federal agencies have not been honest or transparent with us. That's a scandal in and of itself. We've, we've actually turned our med- medical practice on its head. Doctors should reign supreme in terms of their responsibility patients, and yet it is the federal health agencies that are directing how to practice medicine, and it's been devastating. It's cost hundreds of thousands of people their lives, and they'll never own up to it. Senator Ron Johnson, uh, go to his website. Uh, He needs some support. We need him in, uh, in the Senate for six more years. Senator, thank you so much. Stay well. Take care. You got it. When we come back, I'll take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. What Bill Beck better do? <laughs> there is no. I mean, I don't know what you're all talking about. You haven't had any talks about that no, since December. No, no, no. It's so, dead. It is dead. Joe Manchin makes it clear. Bill Beck better is dead. Uh, go ahead and focus on Justice Breyer's replacement, uh, Ron Klain and company, who, by the way, blew the Ron Klain announcement. Get this. Justice Breyer wanted to, to announce his retirement ahead of time. Himself. But guess what? Ron Klain and Joe Biden cannot keep a secret. So they called up Dick Durbin and said, Dick, guess what? We got Judge uh, Justice Breyer. He's going to retire. Get ready. Get ready for the nomination process. So Dick Durbin's like, wow, I cannot believe Ron Klain's telling me this. Who else did he tell? So he said, only thing is tell my wife. Next thing you know, it becomes a full-blown news. Shannon Bream gets in touch with the Breyer camp. They were first angered. And then the word went they were surprised this got out. You would think after this great career in which he had, he could announce his own retirement, but he was bullied out of it by feral fellow Democrats who want him gone because it looks like their House majority is going to be gone. And if these continue to go this well uh, for Republicans, so will the Senate. And the president will finally have to reach across the aisle for legitimate reasons. Uh, and by the way, they're voting reform. They're actually doing some electoral college reform. On a bipartisan way. Can you imagine if we had a president that really wanted to leave and not be head of his party? 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Not all opinions are created equal. You think about major newsrooms like CNN that have health departments and deaths and operations that work hard on verifying information on COVID-19. And then you have talk show stars like Joe Rogan who just wing it, who make it up as they go along. And because figures like Rogan are trusted by people that don't trust real newsrooms, we have a tension, a problem that's much bigger than Spotify, much bigger than any single platform, Kate. But that's what is the heart of this right now. Uh, and that is the ridiculous Brian Stelter, an embarrassment to this country and CNN if they had a wit, their wits about him. Talking about Joe Rogan as an actual danger, when what Joe Rogan is doing is actually interviewing people that you may disagree with people on CNN. Rich Lowry joins us now, editor of the National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. Uh, Rich, welcome back. Do you believe that Joe Rogan's got to deal with this and where we're heading as the White House <laughs> wants more? Yeah, well, Spotify stood by him to to their credit. Um, you know, he's a hundred million dollar investment, so they have lots of skin in the game. But just this idea in this country that you just can't stand it. If someone expresses a view you disagree with, and you got to pull your music from their their platform, or you know, Ilya Shapiro at Georgetown, you got to suspend and investigate them. It's it's so childish. It's so illiberal. It's so un-American. And Joe Rogan, you know, I thought he was pretty compelling in his um, video he put out in response to all this. He doesn't, you know, he's not Sanjay Gupta. He's not giving medical opinions. He's just interviewing people. And some people are dissenters and they have heterodox views and maybe they're wrong. But a very compelling point that Rogan made is that a lot of stuff that was suppressed as misinformation at the outset of this pandemic is even proved is either proven, proven to be true or proven to be entirely reasonable, like the idea that the virus came from a lab. So let's not suppress things based on uh, conventional wisdom because the conventional wisdom might be wrong. And let's just have a, a, a big, yeasty, contentious, open debate. That's what America is supposed to be about. Because science is imperfect. Science is always evolving. So much of what they told us was flat out wrong. So Joe Rogan brings up these accredited uh, doctors that have a differing opinion, and that's what makes it compelling. He doesn't endorse. He doesn't monologue. What he does is question. And he has a pretty much foundational knowledge of most of this stuff. I'm really concerned that now these artists are going to start leveraging uh, leveraging whatever success they have. Uh, maybe some real artists like Taylor Swift who are have legitimate commercial success, that would begin to hurt Spotify. Mm-hmm. And guess who yeah. else gets hurt? I don't care if you like Joe Rogan or not. We all get hurt. Yeah, no, absolutely. And this is this is a, one of the disturbing phenomena of our time is the people who are best suited to withstand this kind of pressure, they're world famous or incredibly rich or both. So Dave Chappelle, 
didn't didn't back down. You know, Netflix kind of stood by him. J.K. Rowling on the trans stuff is not backing down. But you can't really cancel her now, right? I mean, the the books are monster bestsellers, and movies have been made of them. And Rogan is kind of in that category at the moment because Spotify so invested in him. But you're right. If the pressure keeps building, maybe they maybe they buckle. And again, those doctors, you know, from where I stand right now, I'm like, okay, you know, that uh, a lot of what they said is crazy. But I don't know whether a year from now, I mean, I might be thinking, well, okay, this thing that I thought was crazy was true. And and this is just part of being a thinking, rational human being. You you listen to points of view you disagree with. You you have your arguments for why they're wrong, but you might over time change. And that, that's a good thing. There was a study out by Johns Hopkins that say lockdown shutdowns didn't work from schools to businesses to, to cities to streets. Did not work, were ineffective, only helped the mortality rate 0.02%, and that in retrospect never should have been done. They were fully backed up by Anthony Fauci and said, what, two or three weeks to slow the spread? They said millions of people would die if we didn't do it. That is 100% wrong. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya said this this morning, cut 15. It looks to me like this is the way that they operate, that is, Francis Collins and, and Tony Fauci. Whenever they see an inconvenient fact uh, that where other scientists may disagree with them, they organize an attempt to... Uh, to to suppress and marginalize the other scientists. They did this with me with the lockdowns. When I spoke up against lockdowns in October of 2020, Francis Collins wrote an email to Tony Fauci calling me a fringe scientist and and calling for a devastating takedown. Um, What what happened seems like a pattern. They They marginalize other scientists to create an illusion of control, of consensus that doesn't exist in the scientific community. They want to look like they have are, are in charge of a scientific consensus. And we see this again. Where is Anthony Fauci on this Hopkins study? Where is the outrage that people think about the sacrifice of their lives, their schooling, their careers, their mental health? And we have Denmark and the U.K. free right now. Sweden never locked down. Who knows what's happening in these oppressive states? In Canada, an outright rebellion north of our border, one that's coming to our border March 1st. Rich, how do we get out of this? Well, first of all, it's not science per se that's the problem. Science is an argument. You know, you, you come up with your theory and you, you try to do a study to support it, and then if you think it does, you put it out there, and then people poke holes in it, and it's a it's a back and forth. The problem was people creating, as that um, doctor in the clip said, this fake consensus around the, the science that they, they then attempted to enforce. That's the problem. But the way to get out of it, you know, and I think Biden needs a reset, and this would be one easy way for him to, to reset. It's just say, you know what? We got to live with it. It's not going away, and we're embracing normality. And there's that Monmouth poll the other day that showed 70% of people that's their attitude, including 43% of Democrats. Now, Democrats are beginning to be split in half on this, and he should lift the mask mandates. You know, a lot of liberals look at masks as not not a huge intervention, um, you know, relatively costless, but they are the main symbol of not going back to normal. So lift the mask mandates, change the CDC guidance about the schools to make it more in accord with the the guidance that other health authorities around the world um, have and embrace sanity. So Denver is dropping the mask or proof of vaccine requirements. Denver, uh, he goes, Am- they say Amicron has run out of fuel. Virginia's new GOP attorney general prom- uh, prompts three of the largest universities to drop the vaccine mandate. We know about 
or giving parents choice in some of the school districts pushing back. But at the same time, Pfizer is applying for authorization to use its COVID-19 vaccine on children ages six months to four years. They'll need three shots. Really? Three shots? Can we take put our brakes on this for a second, Rich? What do you say to parents listening to us right now who say, I, I, I am not comfortable with that? Yeah, well, you make your own choice. And that that's why the mandates have been a mistake from the beginning, continue to be a mistake. I don't see why you'd have to vaccinate kids that young, given that, thank God, that this, this virus um, isn't that dangerous to young kids. But, you know, if uh, a parent disagrees, you know, that that's that's their choice. Well, but what if but, they can't go to school without it? We've seen this. Well, that's the problem. Restaurants. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the problem with the mandates, obviously, and the mandates shouldn't exist. And you know, on all this stuff, you want to vaccinate a young kid, do it. If you want to mask your kid at the uh, school, do it. But parents who don't want to do it shouldn't be forced to. Uh, listen, I think we're experiencing that uh, right now. Uh, overall, we're looking at Democrats and Republicans kind of fighting it out. Uh, well, But it looks like Republicans have the upper hand. Then this, this story uh, emerges on Axios, soon to be everywhere, uh, as we get an after-action report in Afghanistan. And it turns out they were just lying to themselves and to us. They had no plans in the middle of August uh, to get out of Afghanistan. They didn't even make plans to evacuate our people. They said that this never would have happened. They couldn't have expected it. But now you have people on the record saying, we told them Afghanistan was about to fall. We told them the Afghan army would not withstand much more pressure. We let them know that they were beginning to defect, that most of these cities were collapsing, and they still allowed this humiliation to take place. They were more focused on the optics of leaving. They didn't want a Saigon. Rich, what they got was worse. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's a huge Atlantic piece making the the same point, 20,000-word piece. This was utterly foreseeable. You didn't need to be an expert. You need to be, didn't need to be on the inside getting the intelligence briefings. You know, just military experts on, on the outside said, this is what's happening. And clearly the whole thing, whole situation is collapsing. And you, you it's idiotic to have removed your military assets and, and given away a, a base that you would need for an evacuation. And they, they were incredibly incompetent. They were incredibly delusional. And they were committed to trying to put a brave face on it that just didn't accord with reality. And this really can kind of put a pin on, you know, last August when Biden's downward slide really began because it totally blew up the reputation that he wanted to have for confidence and normality. Rich, how do you explain on the right there's a lot, and I'm not one of them, that don't believe that Ukraine matters, uh, that stopping Russia is not is in our best interest? I, I see it. I see if Russia obtains the Ukraine, they're beginning to reassemble the superpower status, just using the, the access they'll get to the waters, to the ports, and, and to the natural resources of the Ukraine. I see them as a growing nemesis. Right now we can control, but I'm not sure we can if they get the Ukraine. How do you view it? Um, I agree with you. You know, look, I don't, I don't think we want to fight a war with Russia. I don't think anyone serious is advocating fighting war with Russia. It's, it's whether they just try to attempt to keep them from doing it and deter them and make it as painful as possible. And I just don't think you could predict the downside consequences of the idea of borders being sacrosanct in, in uh, 
Europe just giving way and in the idea that, that naked naked aggression can rule. Now does that, that immediately, you know, change our security situation or affect anyone's way of life here? No, you know, it doesn't. That's one reason we wouldn't want to fight a war over it. But it doesn't mean it's a good thing. It's it's a bad thing and and we should we should try to stop it. Uh, Vladimir Putin yesterday, some of his remarks, he says the NATO has not done anything that we've asked. They continue to, to come up on our borders and jeopardize our security. We had the Ukrainian leader meet with the Polish leader and the prime minister of England yesterday. Where do you think this is heading two weeks from now, three weeks from now? Well, I think I, I buy the conventional wisdom that he's not going to do anything during the Olympics because the Chinese, you know, his allies would be upset with that. And then I kind of think he has to do something. Now, I, I'd be, still be shocked if it's a full-scale invasion. He doesn't want to occupy Ukraine, Ukraine. That would really make him an international pariah and would be very painful. I mean, there would be an insurgency that would bleed uh, Russian troops constantly. But I think he, he has to do something. You know, maybe it's annexing another province or two on the, the eastern border or some sort of smaller scale action. But I think having spun this whole thing up just to back down now would be humiliating for him. Understood. Uh, Rich, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Brian. Have a great week. Rich Lowry, National Review, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We're still monitoring of the solemn events uh, of the funeral of another slain officer from two weeks ago. Uh, there is a sea of blue that have descended on this city, but the bigger picture is crime. Uh, with all these officers being shot from Texas, including another one in New York last night, when is this going to stop? When are you going to be fed up enough? This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's The Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. These officers every day put on their uniform, pin their shield on their chest, put that bulletproof vest on, and go back in the streets. With all of that frustration, they still go back and do their job. Now it's time for lawmakers to do their job. Uh, That is Mayor Eric Adams with a message today. I'm sure he'll be part of the eulogy procession, including the the family of the slain officer from last Friday, whom, by the way, they were both shot and then they were executed by this cop killer who got killed himself. But there was a shooting last night. Uh, There was a 22-year-old who was heading to work. He got stopped at a light. They tried to carjack him. They had a gun. They shot him. He shot back. So that's what we're looking at in New York City. Please don't tell me that's part of the the process we have to get used to. No, we got rid of that. William WTRC in South Bend, Indiana. Hey, William, you're focused on what I was just talking about, and that's Afghanistan. Yeah, Brian, it's just I find it absolutely amazing that all these things are coming to light now. We had... We predicted this. We had actually actually suspected it. We called them out on it. Nobody admitted to it. Nobody will take any ownership of it. And I don't know if it's because they're afraid of repercussions, but nothing's going to happen. And yet there's probably still thousands of people there that have no way of getting out. And, and they're afraid to American put their heads up because, they, because they're, gonna... they're afraid to pick their heads up and ask to get out because now they're going to be targeted. And now they have to use private organizations to get out. There's no U.S. there. So what you're referring to, what Williams is referring to, is a report that came out through Axios. Leaked document underscores President Biden's Afghanistan failures. Leaked notes from the White House Situation Room meeting the day before Kabul fell shed new light on just how unprepared the administration was to evacuate Afghan nationals who had helped the United States in their 20-year war. Hours before the Taliban seized control of the, of the capital. 
Biden administration officials still discussing and assigning basic actions involved in a mass civilian evacuation. For example, they just decided they needed to notify local Afghan staff to begin to register their interest. You get this. Begin to register their interest in relocation to the United States. And they would still be determining which countries could serve as transit points for evacuees. It is absolutely insane. They go on. Uh, the state will look. Uh, state Department will look to identify as many countries as possible to serve at transit points. Now, keep in mind, the capital will fall the next day. We go on. Embassy Capital will notify the local employee staff to begin to register their interest. The president himself and his intelligence committee overestimated the ability of the Afghan military to defend itself. But there's no reason for them to have overestimated because there were people telling them how bad they were. Now, in a big story in The Atlantic today, this guy George Packer says he reports the Biden administration people to claim there was no way they could have foreseen how quickly the Taliban would complete its takeover is flat out wrong. It was foreshadowed notably by Dexter Filkins in The New Yorker in March of last winter. His report portrayed the robust Taliban and Afghan government collapsing. The Taliban controlled Afghanistan's highways de facto governments in the provinces, and and maintained an open-armed presence even in the city of Kabul. How could the U.S. at the higher echelons of intelligence not know that? Or did they know it and did they not care? By one estimate, 90% of Afghans eligible for relocation were left behind. That, according to Packer, most of those who did get out were rescued only by the initiative of conscience-stricken troops and diplomats in Kabul, by a loose network of tireless volunteers. And we've highlighted some of those volunteers uh, here on this show. And they are the ones who care. The State Department wants to turn the page. And and I'm being very cognizant of that. Here's Alex McCammon on another network of the Axios Reporter. Cut 10. Just hours before the Taliban took control of Afghanistan last summer, senior Biden administration officials were frankly scrambling to figure out some actions they needed to take in order to pull off a mass civilian evacuation like we saw last August. And that's according to leaked notes from a White House Situation Room meeting as compiled by NSC officials that Axios has obtained. And as you'll know well, all this matters, not just because of the way that Americans watch the Afghanistan situation unfold, but because these documents finally highlight that the Biden administration was making these really crucial and, and, and you know, numerous decisions, again, just hours before Kabul fell. And as you'll remember, just before the former Afghani president fled the country in fear of what was going to happen there. What did the president tell us? Overwhelming success. Overwhelming success. Donald Trump started it. I just continued it. Yeah, Donald Trump had Operation Warp Speed. You dropped that ball. Donald Trump had the Abraham Accords. You have no interest in that. Donald Trump had tax cuts. You want to raise the tax cuts. We know everything you've done through executive orders on day one from oil leases on private and public land. We know what you've done with everything that Donald Trump tried to do. But you wouldn't stop that. Please. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
Oh, that was very nice. Nice to hear that. And I'm happy you're here with me now. Congressman Lee Zeldin coming up shortly. He wants to be the next governor of New York. I certainly hope um, he knocks these Democrats down because they do not deserve to retain power. And Dr. Todd Rose, co-founder of the think tank Populist, former director of the Mind, Brain, and Education program at Harvard University and author of a brand new book, Collective Illusions, Conformity, Complicity, and the Science of Why We Make Bad Decisions. Uh, a lot going on. We are also watching the solemn events of a uh, the men and women in blue gathering on Fifth Avenue outside St. Patrick's, going all the way down that avenue to salute uh, the fallen. Uh, we lost another officer last week, and uh, his name is Wilbert Mora. They uh, He held on for a few days. He was able to become an organ donor uh, and give life to five other people. But unfortunately, he was unable to save his own at 27 years old. He will be honored today at St. Patrick's. So as we look at that and think about that, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Not all opinions are created equal. You think about major newsrooms like CNN. They work hard on verified information on COVID-19. And then you have talk show stars like Joe Rogan who make it up as they go along. And because figures like Rogan are trusted by people that don't trust real newsrooms, we have a tension, a problem that's much bigger than Spotify. Yeah, right. Uh, Brian Stelter, maybe he should never have interviewed Sanjay Gupta. Maybe it was irresponsible for him to do that and make things up as he went along. White House wants more limits on Spotify superstar Rogan as another washed up rocker pulls his music and pressure builds for Taylor Swift to do the same over the so-called disinformation. Meanwhile, in a directly related story, Johns Hopkins study shows COVID lockdowns and school closures didn't do anything. Is that disinformation as we lived with that and lived with that for the last two years? Try its new information. Number two. Just hours before the Taliban took control of Afghanistan last summer, senior Biden administration officials were frankly scrambling to figure out some actions they needed to take in order to pull off a mass civilian evacuation. And that's according to leaked notes from a White House Situation Room meeting as compiled by NSC officials that Axios has obtained. When is enough enough? You got to wonder. Uglier than I thought. Details of incompetence and chaos in the fall of Kabul revealed in the first of many explosive, sickening reports and shows President Biden's ignorance and idiocy at all levels. Well explained. Number one. He will be joined on the trip by Attorney General Garland to talk about the steps the administration has taken so far to reduce gun crime and how we can be a strong partner for New York City and other cities grappling with increased gun violence over the past two years. Yeah, Jen Psaki trying to save herself because she giggled at the fact that Fox covers crime in major cities where it's up everywhere. But she thinks it's funny. When is enough? For Jen Psaki to get that serious, how about now? Tomorrow the president comes here, but today we will mourn the loss of another police officer, man in blue. Yesterday, a sixth officer was shot this year. Off-duty rookie cop shot in Queens, New York. He's 22 years old. Two young men approached his car at a red light intersection uh, over in Beach Street on 63rd and Beach Channel Drive. And uh, that about 1020 at night, they tried to take his car. The cop exited the car and was shot in the shoulder by one of the suspects. Police said the injured cop was transported in a patrol car to Jamaica Hospital, where he is listed in stable condition. Two suspects have been taken into custody. But that's just more of the same. Congressman Lee Zeldin, New York Republican gubernatorial candidate, congressman from Suffolk County, welcome back. It's always great to be with you, Brian. Congressman, describe what's going on in the city today. Well, we have another powerful 
unifying moment of law enforcement officers, not just NYPD, but coming from neighboring areas of the state, other parts of the country, to mourn the loss of another NYPD officer. I was at the visitation yesterday. I was at Jason Rivera's funeral last Friday. Uh, and there's a strong statement being made by the NYPD, by people who just want to feel safe walking around the street, the families of those uh, who are being lost. They are all crying out frustrated, angry, uh, also motivated. And they know exactly what they want, too. It's not one of those situations where they want to feel safer. They're not sure what the issue is. They're talking smartly, saying, we need to repeal cashless bail in New York. We need to remove Alvin Bragg as a district attorney if you won't enforce the law. We should recognize a law enforcement officer's inherent right of self-defense and make sure they have the resources they need to, to do their job. We shouldn't be releasing people early from prison who should remain behind bars. And that, that list goes on. So what strikes me... Beyond just that imagery that you're seeing uh, are the stories, the passion, the frustration, the anger, but also the smarts. They know exactly what they're fighting for. So tomorrow the president will be there. I don't know why he can't come today, but we do know that he has just ordered 3,000 U.S. troops over to where I think is Poland in response to the uh, the, the uh, troop buildup of Russia on the Ukraine uh, border. I want to get your opinion on that. But Eric uh, Adams was let everybody know he's looking forward to the president's visit. Cut to. This is a great city, and I'm the Biden of Brooklyn. And I love the fact that the president is coming here. We have a joint uh, uh, task force that's together, that they meet every day, FBI, ATF, uh, Department of Justice. Everyone is in the same room, NYPD. And so he's coming to see the seed that he planted. Yeah, the seed that he planted? With the seed that he planted, they're even ignoring the mayor. The mayor and police chief are asking for no cash bail removed. They're asking for the judges to have the ability to sentence people that they look at suspects they think are dangerous to society. It's a no on every level. They're getting from the, the left-wing city council and the left-wing legislator. Yeah, and Mayor Adams isn't getting silence. Uh, he's not getting ignored. They're actually punching him in the face. They're going on to social media. And Rosie O'Donnell's brother, who's a New York State Assemblyman, is a perfect example. You have this woke, white, liberal assemblyman who goes on Twitter going after the black mayor saying that his proposal to have judges with discretion away dangerousness, Adams's proposal was code for black, as if the whole motive behind Mayor Adams advocating for a change in cashless bail is because somehow Mayor Adams is targeting black people. Like, really, it's, it's one thing to have that thought in your head. It's another to type it into your phone or computer. It's another thing to actually click send. You know, cashless bail at the, at the state level with the governor, she's saying that she needs to see the data. You need to see the data? How about you collect a certain number of press clippings of the person released on cashless bail who then gets arrested for a double manslaughter in Yonkers? How about you collect the press clippings of someone released on cashless bail who then goes out and murders someone in their 90s last week? That person had to plead guilty. Now, about the visit, and they're focusing on guns, what can't be lost at all in anyone covering tomorrow's news about this visit is that when that 
26-year-old Asian woman was pushed into an oncoming subway car a few weeks ago and lost her life. It had nothing to do with guns. When someone's getting punched in the face because they're wearing a yarmulke because they're Jewish or because they're Asian or that small business owner that has to go out because they've been looted too much and they can't afford to stay in business, there are so many acts of crime right now in this city that have nothing to do with guns. You want to talk about illegal guns? We can have that conversation. But don't try to make it out to be like, like you're just going to come here and be partisan and just say we have to pass this new bill to make some illegal gun more illegal or whatever they're going to come up with. You want to have that conversation, fine, but you can't ignore all these other realities that have nothing to do with guns. What I don't understand, uh, Congressman, is if they're not listening to a Democratic governor, excuse me, mayor, and a Democratic governor, why would they listen to you if you got the job? Like, how would you possibly get leverage over these legislators that are not acting on the best interest and security of New Yorkers? Well, first off, the governor has it in it in their power. It's under the state constitution to remove a district attorney who refuses to enforce the law. I have the ability on day one to fire Alvin Bragg. And we have uh, outsized power as it relates to the budget process in New York and and other things like you know people come up from New York City and they need permission from Albany. They need to pass a bill because back home in New York City they want to get something done. So they come to the governor and say, Governor, I want you to sign this bill. Yeah, well, you know, I'm going to take this opportunity to talk about this other priority that isn't uh, getting acted upon inside the state assembly or the state senate. And you know, the other thing, too, is you can go into the districts of these people who are pulling the wool over the eyes of their constituents and making it seem like they're fighting a good fight on Castle's Bail, even though they voted to create it, even though they won't vote to change it. You can show up in their district, fire up their constituents, get the earned media, and move numbers that way. You know, listen, it's not, I'm not running for the position of dictator. We have people who get elected to the state assembly, state senate. Kathy Hochul, Andrew Cuomo, they thought they were in this position of dictator. Uh, but what you have to do is take leverage of what power you have and use it effectively. And to that point about you know, Mayor Adams being ignored by people in his own party, you're right. One thing that needs to happen tomorrow about this cashless bail topic is that Joe Biden, when he was running for president, he wanted to make cashless bail national. That was part of his platform in running for president. So talk about that story and make sure whoever's with Biden is listening because you know that they're the ones actually running the show. Well, real quick, uh, how do you feel about the president putting uh, 3,000 troops into uh, what I think is Poland? I have a lot of thoughts, but I mean, but I'll, I'll keep it brief. The first is what we can't uh, forget about is that our number one priority for everyone who's focused on the border of Ukraine, who is silent and have nothing to say, or even worse, as it relates to our own border, we have a southern border crisis that we need those people focusing that energy on instead of incentivizing and rewarding illegal entry and not backing our border patrol and stopping construction of the border wall, and that list goes on. Secondly, my first priority in Ukraine are the Americans who are there and the Ukrainian-American families who are here in this country who are contacting their elected officials of the State Department because they care about their loved ones. That's where the priority is at the moment. Now, as far as the President of the United States goes, words matter. And from that respect, when he says that Russia can you know, do a minor incursion and maybe get away with it, uh, you know, words matter, especially if you're the President of the United States. He can't do that again. That was really dumb for him to say, to be honest. And policies matter, too. So when he was killing Keystone XL pipeline, but fast tracking Nord Stream 2 for Russia, 
that ends up playing into right into Russia's hands for a moment like this. And you had a bipartisan push to get sanctions to stop the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, and it was vetoed by the administration. Yeah, absolutely. They were all in lobbying against it. I mean, this this isn't. I mean, the, the fast tracking this wasn't just saying, "Ah, oh, we're just not going to put up a, a fight." They've actually been holding Russia's water in this entire effort. It's crazy. And, and as far as our instruments of national power, people often think about the M, the military, but we also have the principles called DIME: diplomacy, information, military, economics. Military is always the last possible option. This is about de-escalation. This is about avoiding a conflict. I don't want to see our military having to be in harm's way, fighting a war, and this could get really bad really fast. So work smartly, effectively, consistently uh, with, with multilateral, bilateral partners, the economic pressure, all those tools that we have uh, in our arsenal to be able to help right. that avoids a war, that's where the priorities need to be. But priority number one needs to be more about our southern border, which is being ignored. We have one thing in common. We both don't watch The View, but we're forced to review it clips when they say something especially stupid. Uh, for a case in point, Whoopi Goldberg. Let's be truthful about it because the Holocaust isn't about race. No. No. It's well, not about race. It's-, it's about man's inhumanity to man. That's what it's about. Let's talk about it for what it is. It's how people treat each other. So she tried to apologize, not effective. NBC, ABC yesterday said effective immediately was uh, Whoopi Goldberg is suspended for two weeks for her wrong and hurtful comments. While Whoopi has apologized, I've asked her to take time to reflect and learn about the impact of her comments. Number one, as a, uh, you're a Jewish American who also is in the military, um, your thoughts on Whoopi Goldberg's comments and ABC's reaction. The, the comments were were dumb. I mean, I, they, they were insensitive. That we they are they were stupid. I mean, if you were Ignorant. watching the View yesterday and you thought that you were going to learn something and you're paying attention to Whoopi's words as she was saying that, and like taking it to heart, you actually were dumber than before you started watching the View yesterday. I mean, you could actually just spend that time during these hours listening to the Brian Kilmeade radio show and actually get the facts, and, and instead of listening to Whoopi Goldberg's take on the Holocaust, we need more Holocaust education in our own schools. We need more civics education of what's going on in our own country's history right here in our own schools here in in the U.S. The two-week suspension is more than I thought ABC was going to give, and that's not uh, giving ABC any credit. It's giving them none. So it's good that she's got a couple weeks to think about it, and it gives a whole lot of other people in the media on the left something to think about because there's a whole lot of other people capable of saying dumb things like this and the penalty the suspension next time for someone on the left who is going to say anything like this by the way left right doesn't even matter if you want to start reinventing history like this and just not understand what's coming out of your mouth I mean, you don't really belong on tv because people heed your words uh, and then they take it to heart they form their own independent judgment and that impacts right. civilization and life in this country going forward so uh she was wrong for saying it she needs at least those two weeks and hopefully she never says it again and for anyone watching the view yesterday wipe your mind clean of whatever Whoopi might have said getting to you because it was wrong Absolutely. Uh, Hitler wanted to wipe out the Jews uh, any way, shape, or form. You, it's not just you, man, uh, you uh, man against man. Congressman Lee Zeldin, he wants to be the next governor of New York. Congressman, if people want to support your gubernatorial run, what do they do? 
ZeldinForNewYork.com, Z-E-L-D-I-N, ZeldinForNewYork.com, and I'm also on social media as well. Always great to be with you, Brian. Go get him, uh, Congressman. Appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk to you again. one 866 Bottom of the hour, Todd Rose. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. The ideological left has engaged in intolerance toward views that clash with them. And it really has been. It started on college campuses where people who took views that were opposed by a lot of young people found comrades among the leadership, the administration, the faculty, and it started to spread throughout the workforce, where if you don't say what is required to be said from the point of view of the left, you should be drummed off of campus and now drummed out of the workforce. And it's insidious. You know, I am an old-line ACLU liberal when it comes to speech, and I wish the ACLU would defend speech again. Yeah, but now they're saying, uh, Joe Rogan, look out. We're coming after you. Why? Because they can't control them. You want to minimize Fox. They really can't do that. They want to get rid of these other right-wing conservative networks off the AT&T or some of the bigger cable streams or whether it's the Dish or um, uh, or, or other uh, venues. But with Joe Rogan, he says, I'm just going to sit here behind my microphone. I'm going to interview who I want. I'm going to book the people I want. A lot of them are comedians, some are UFC stars, some boxing greats, a lot of actors. And all of a sudden, he'll say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to speak to Dr. Malone because Dr. Malone came up with six mRNA patents, and he feels as though these vaccines are totally ineffective against Omicron, and he feels as though the lockdowns aren't going to be effective, and he wants people to speak up because long-term, perhaps, those vaccines are not going to be good for you. What is wrong with asking questions? It's not Joe Rogan's opinion. It's opinion that it's his opinion that these opinions need to get out because he's not seeing anything except for Sanjay Gupta and others who have their role. But they're all mainstream guys who are marching to the CDC and FDA's drummer. I don't want that, especially when their mass to vaccines to origins is proven incorrect, as well as lockdowns. That's the newest. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. You know, I would just be happy if we never adopted them again. It was clear that lockdowns, if they were going to protect anyone, was only a certain class of people. Uh, the rest of us, or many of us, who couldn't afford to lock down, I, I mean, actually, I was in the class that could afford to lock them up. Most of the people in the United States weren't in that class. They had to work. They were called essential workers. They got exposed. Right. They got sick and died anyways. The lockdowns were never going to protect the most vulnerable people, who were the elderly and some of the uh, and, and other folks with, with severe disease. Well, we locked down the whole country, as did many countries. And now we find out, and we knew it then, Johns Hopkins revealed a study that we were only 0.02% safer. And the lockdowns, when you look at the mental illness uh, that was accompanied it, the livelihoods that were destroyed, the domestic disputes that took place, the divorces uh, that took root, the careers that were uh, basically eliminated, they never made sense. Denmark and the U.K. have sobered up. Sweden never tried it. Why? When's the U.S. going to do it? Uh, my hope is now that all plays into the theme of Dr. Todd Rose, co-founder of the Think Tank Populist, former director of the Mind, Brain and Education program at Harvard, author of a brand new book, Collective Illusions, Conformity, Complicity and the Science of Why We Made, Why We Make Bad Decisions. Dr. Rose, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. 
Todd, first off, what about this Hopkins study? Not to get into detail on it, but lockdowns didn't work, don't work. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think early on, you know, there was some debate, and I think, you know, we were all trying to do our best. But at this point, a lot of the things we're doing are largely about following what we think our groups want us to do rather than following the actual science. And I think as we emerge from this pandemic and it becomes an endemic, we've got to smarten up a bit and, and really rely on the evidence rather than just groupthink. And do you find that groupthink is a problem? Right. I, I think it's, it's pretty clear to everybody in the country right now we, we've got a big problem with groupthink. And what, what I tried to cover in, in my book is that collective illusions are a special kind of groupthink, right? Like, we all want to be with our group, and so we are wired to conform. But it, it sort of assumes that you know what your group really thinks. But what we've found in place after place in American society today is we are spectacularly wrong about what our groups really believe. And so as a result, we're conforming to a phantom, and it becomes something where the entire group ends up doing something that almost nobody really wanted except for a vocal fringe. So you give an example in your book of segregation. Segregation, you say, was perpetuated for decades longer in the American South because of the collective illusion of whites believing other whites opposed it when a majority supported it privately. You want to expand on that? Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. This, this work around collective illusions goes back 100 years, but this was such a good example of how misreading our groups our in-groups can lead us to hold back social progress. So uh, a researcher named uh, Hubert O'Gorman had been studying private attitudes of white people in the South around integration, and the vast majority of them were in favor of it, but they were absolutely convinced that most white people still wanted segregation. And so they didn't dare to speak up because they didn't want to go against their group. And it was argued that, that this held back racial integration by about a decade and we've still paying the price for that, you could say. Uh, and it took radical change and the radical change that most people were comfortable with. So on a, on a daily basis, what else do you discover that we're doing? You say, for example, that humans just make bad decisions. Well, look, when I, when I say bad decisions, you know, look, if you want to conform to your group because you want to belong um, more than state your honest view, that's up to you. But it becomes a really bad decision when your conformity is to a social lie, Right where your group doesn't even want the thing. And so your behavior, your conformity hurts you, right? The, the sort of mental health aspects, the, the, the self-esteem aspects of going against your own values. But it also hurts the group because your behavior is, trying, is convincing everybody else that we all want something that nobody really wants. And that's what's going on in America today in almost all aspects of our lives. And for example? So for me, I look... Anything that matters, it's a coin toss, whether you're wrong about the group right now. But the one that's the most important to me is we just did um, private opinion research, the largest study ever of what Americans want for the future of the country. And when we asked people before giving them this private opinion instrument, you know, are we divided? Like 82 percent of the people said, of course, we're divided. And half of those people said we are extremely divided. And yet when we gave these thousands of people across all walks of life this private opinion instrument, what emerges is shocking common ground about our aspirations for America. And, and you may not be surprised to learn that the, the things we all want across all demographics are nothing short of core American values, right? Like, for example, like across all demographics, people still care about individual rights. It just doesn't seem like it, right? We want a, a fair shot at the American dream. 
And we recognize that there's things we owe each other to make that dream possible. Things like health care, our good education, and a fair criminal justice system. And one of my favorite things is what, what we all don't want <laughs> is we don't want top-down control. We're sick of the federal government telling communities and individuals how to live their lives. And this could be extremely valuable for any politician if they fully understood right. what you were saying. In fact, it's hard to imagine that if, if what you're saying is true and, and they agreed to it, they would be doing the things they're doing right now. But that's exactly right. So the problem here is that our brains are actually really bad at reading the majority because the shortcut your brain uses is it thinks the loudest voices repeated the most often are the majority. So you can see the problem there, right, especially with social media where 80 percent of content on Twitter is generated by 10 percent of the users. And those people are not even remotely representative of America. But think about it. If if you think if 10 percent of people hold an opinion, but you think it's 80 percent. Well, it, look, what happens if I don't want to go against the group, then I'm just going to self-silence. And that's what we're seeing today, right? Two-thirds of Americans report that they self-silence on things that matter to them. But to your point, if I'm a politician right now, you've got to recognize your brain is misleading you. Your, your fringe on your own party seems like it has a, a firmer grasp on the majority, and it does not. And if you come back and look at what we know about Americans and their values for their lives – for each other, for the country, there is so much common ground, and it, it is not radical. It, it is core American values, and if you will say that out loud, you will be shocked at the consensus that you'll find there. So, Todd, would you say that this is a new phenomenon because of the advent of social media, that if I was talking to you in the 70s, you might have different – you wouldn't have to tell everybody that they agree on all this stuff? Right. So, so we know that collective illusions – um, have existed for quite a while. The, the, the first research on them was 100 years ago. But to your point, up until social media, they were pretty rare, right? You could probably count on two hands the number of ones that really mattered. Um, but with social media and with the ability for a vocal fringe, a small minority of people to give the impression that a lot of people agree with them, it, our brains aren't designed for that. And so we've got to recognize that it's not that we shouldn't be on social media. It's that we've got to realize it is a fun house of mirrors. And we can't let that distortion affect how we treat each other in real life. So how do we attack this? If you could identify the problem effectively and you do in your book, Collective Illusions, uh, do we live with it? Do we just recognize it? How do we attack it and change it? So look, yeah, look, there is a straightforward answer here, and it's not rocket science, even though it still can be difficult. Since self-silencing is the root cause of all collective illusions, solving the problem means we've got to have the moral courage to be honest about our own views with each other and the civic courage to make it safe for others to do the same. Like, that, it, that is what we've believed in. Those are core American values, right, self-expression and respect for differences. But we've got to live up to those right now. And if we do, I promise you, we'll come out of this cultural tailspin and we can get back to a higher levels of social trust. We'll reveal our shared values and we can start to address some of the problems we really do have. Well, that's interesting. So when you approach this book, I know you believed in it because that's what you've been studying. How did you how do you what do you hope people take away from it that don't go to Harvard, uh, that, that don't necessarily get into the political field or care much about political opinion, but they care about the country? Right. I, I, and for me, that's that's why I wrote the book. Right. Because we don't need to talk to more Harvard people. We need to talk to each other. And here, here's what I would say. Right now, most people are sitting back and they're feeling like some version of 
am I crazy or did the rest of the country go crazy almost overnight? <laughs> it, it feels like we're almost living in a foreign country. And here's the thing. Even though it seems like it's true, it's not. That's the first thing. You've just got to recognize that collective illusions are real and they are tricking your brain into believing something that is not correct. But the second thing is that while it feels like we have no power, that is not true because it, it is the people that are upholding these illusions, which means it's we the people that can do something about it. And it gets back to that, having the courage to, to share your honest opinions, right? It, it doesn't offend people. People want to hear from you and, and making the space for other people to do the same. So you're saying speak up. You know, they keep saying, well, when it comes to Thanksgiving, keep your opinions to yourself. If you see a stranger and you don't agree with them, you're better off just keeping quiet. And I'm not going to hurt my career by speaking up. Are you encouraging people in the right situation to start speaking up? Yeah, look, here's, here's what's funny. There are certainly um, people who are feeling the pressure of cancel culture and, and honestly don't feel like there, there's too many economic sanctions or social sanctions. They don't feel safe to do that. I understand that. In the book, I, I give some specific um, strategies they can use in, in, as opposed to silence. But here's the thing. In our own private opinion research, we found that the overwhelming supermajority of Americans said that they are self-silencing, not because of cancel culture, but because of decency. They just don't want to hurt other people's feelings or cause conflict. And to those people, I am saying, like, you think that people are overly sensitive, but they're actually not. They actually don't feel that way. They just think everybody are too sensitive. And like by not speaking up, by self-silencing, you are giving the impression that the majority believes something that the majority does not believe. And there is a way to speak your mind without being disagreeable, right? I, the last thing I'll say about this is one of the biggest collective illusions in America today is that the overwhelming majority of Americans across all demographics prioritize wanting to treat one another with respect, regardless of our differences. But they are convinced they are in the minority. They think most Americans no longer care about respectful disagreement, and it's just not true. So I'll give you an example. I'm reading two biographies at the same. I'm reading two books at the same time. Uh, ben Carson's got a book about growing up in the South and being black, mostly white schools. Booker T. Washington actually grew up a slave. He was nine years old when he got his freedom uh, back in the late 1880s into the early 20th century. And both cite different times in which racism is so flagrant. But both look past it, go, oh, that they're ignorant, but I'm moving on. I'm, they're ignorant, but I'm moving on. Ben Carson threatened, don't play on the football team. We don't want black kids on the football team. Don't go to school. We don't want uh, black kids. And he goes, I'm going to school anyway. And he started meeting more and more people that did accept him and didn't focus on people that didn't because he realized they were the minority. And a lot of times they were just ignorant. They had no idea. They had no life experience to act any differently. And I didn't watch this guy become a brain surgeon, Booker T. Washington, become an advisor to the president of the United States. And yet other people in minority situations say life has dealt me a bad hand. It's not easy being Spanish, not easy uh, being black. I can't get anywhere. Those two realities, you're much better off in to order for happiness to be the Ben Carson, Booker T. Washington. But none of them are necessarily wrong, correct? That's exactly right. I, I love that point, right? Uh, my view is that as an individual, I have to play the hand that's dealt to me, and, and, and it doesn't really help me to blame anybody else. But as a society, we need to look at this and say, look, of course racism is real. Of course we, discrimination is real. And we want a country where every single individual, regardless of their background, has a fair shot at earning their own success. 
right? A fair shot yep. of the American dream. And there, the way forward is not through group grievance. It's not. That, that path leads to destruction for society. It is to solve the unfairness and injustices through our values, those timeless American values that were there from the beginning. We've never been perfect to them, but we have always committed to a more perfect union. That's our call today. And if we do that, I promise you, those are the shared values of the vast majority of Americans across all demographics. I find that fascinating and heartening that, you know, the grievance is not going to work. Uh, complaining is not going to be effective. You got to get in the mindset of solving what's good. How do I fix the bad? Uh, and that and that indeed, instead of picking sides, I want to bring you to it turns out like the absurd throws off people you never thought would be thrown off. For example, I listened to Bill Maher for the first time over the last six months because his monologues could be like Tucker Carlson's monologues. I can't believe how similar they are. Yet they they they, they would vote for different people in ninety nine point nine percent of elections. Listen to what he said on Friday. When normal people read that San Francisco has basically legalized shoplifting, they think Democrats have gone nuts. They think, you know, that Ted Cruz, Cruz guy seems like a real stiff. But at least he believes in the concept of shopping with money. <laughs> It's not, it's not my fault that the party of FDR and JFK is turning into the party of LOL and WTF. And he, and he goes on to say, abolish rent, abolish mortgages, don't pay off your student loans. Where does that come from? So he's well, looking look, at this yeah. and saying, please don't tell me this is where the country's going. And you're trying to tell him through this book, it's not. It, it, it's 100% not. And once... Once we recognize the concept of a collective illusion, that it is a real phenomenon, and it's why our brains make us think that this is what the majority wants, but it's just a vocal fringe. And you could see this, look, on the left, and there's a lot of illusions to go around, but that same idea of, like, defund the police. In response to a real moral problem, this idea of, like, a vocal fringe saying we should abolish the police, um, it sure felt like on the left that that was a majority opinion. Of course, that illusion got shattered really quickly when we put it to a vote. And you see an overwhelming majority of people in Minneapolis say, no, thank you, right? We also want to be safe. But, but let me just be clear, and I think this is really important. That moral courage that I talked about, it's, it's not enough to speak to the illusions that the other side is falling for. Our, our greatest power as individuals is to speak up in our own group, right? Like, we know on the right that there are, there, there are illusions that, that we're under, whether it's around addressing climate change or, frankly, even the 2020 election. And we need to be honest about those things because gotcha. the consequences yeah. of, of not being honest are so damaging gotcha. society. Uh, Dr. Roja, I think you made your point. It's a great book, so appropriate for now. Collective Illusions, Conformity, Complicity, and the Science of Why We Make Bad Decisions. Dr. Todd Rose, thank you. Thank you. Back in a moment. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We cannot continue to successfully serve the community we love when there's this blatant disregard for life. And it permeates our community. We cannot continue to to serve successfully the community we love when there's this blatant disregard for authority because it doesn't fit a particular narrative. This blatant disregard has to end. 
Uh, because uh, crime is running rampant in every city. I'm in, I'm in a city right now, maybe the most dangerous, used to be the safest, New York City. But where, you, where you're listening to me right now, whether it's Charlotte or Chicago, you're feeling it. You're seeing it. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go hide in your basement. We've done enough of that. But you got to be really aware. Carjacking, for some reason, is going through the roof. A lot has to do with can't need cars anymore. I mean, because we can't get chips, everything's so expensive. They're like, I have an idea. Why don't I steal a car? I'll get a top dollar for it or pieces, and uh, we'll sell it for other things. So that means that even stopped at a light, you got to feel dangerous. And what do I say that? That's exactly what happened to a cop last night. Off duty, the gun to the side, he gets out of the car, and they shoot him. He's in stable condition as we mourn the death of another officer from last Friday night, two Friday nights ago. Officer Mora. 27 years old. They're at St. Patrick's now. They're offering communion, and now they're listening to the mayor speak. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Martha McCallum will be here at some point, and Nigel Farage is standing by from Britain, uh, the leader of Brexit. The reason why the U.K. is acting so boldly and directly, I believe, is because they're out of the umbrella of the EU, and this is another chance to show uh, independent thought, whether that or they'd be stuck listening to uh, President Macron of France tell them exactly what the EU policy is. We'll discuss that, what the administration has just done. They've committed 3,000 troops over to what I think is a Polish military base. That in a rebuke to Putin, who says he wanted to see less uh, NATO presence in the region. He got just the opposite. So let's, before we get to Nigel Farage, big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Not all opinions are created equal. You think about major newsrooms like CNN. They work hard on verified information on COVID-19. And then you have talk show stars like Joe Rogan who make it up as they go along. And because figures like Rogan are trusted by people that don't trust real newsrooms, we have a tension, a problem that's much bigger than Spotify. 11 million an episode? Does CNN even know what 1 million looks like? They don't. A to Z. Roughing up Rogan. White House wants more limits on on, uh, Spotify superstar Joe Rogan. Another washed-up rocker leaves the fray. You know what? What is disinformation and what is new information? In a direct related story, a job Johns Hopkins study shows the COVID lockdown, school closures didn't work. Is that disinformation or new information? Number two. Just hours before the Taliban took control of Afghanistan last summer, senior Biden administration officials were frankly scrambling to figure out some actions they needed to take in order to pull off a mass civilian evacuation, and that's according to leaked notes from a White House Situation Room meeting as compiled by NSC officials. Uglier than I thought. Details of the incompetence and chaos in the fall of Kabul revealed in the first of many explosive, sickening reports that shows President Biden's ignorance and idiocy at all levels. He embarrassed our nation, cost the lives of thousands, along the loss of, uh, along with the loss of $40 billion in military equipment to the terrorist Taliban. Number one. 
He will be joined on the trip by Attorney General Garland to talk about the steps the administration has taken so far to reduce gun crime and how we can be a strong partner for New York City and other cities grappling with increased gun violence over the past two years. Jen Psaki, when is enough enough? Cops are being shot, killed, and carjacked as massive wave of men and women in dress blues are right now on Fifth Avenue in New York City for the funeral of Wilbur Mora. As crime rages in the nation's 22 biggest cities on all levels, at what point will the Biden administration stop cackling and start cracking, cracking down on crime? And right now we just watched the mayor wrap up his remarks in in respect for Mora, talked about his willingness to walk into a line of fire, talked about the third cop that came in and killed this cop killer uh, before he could hurt more civilians, maybe kill his mother, and also Kill more cops, because that's what he wanted to do. He evidently had an AR-15 under his bed, and I'm sure he'd be willing to use it. And remember, uh, Ray Kelly told me last week that he believes this guy just wanted to kill cops. And in that respect, he was successful. Tomorrow, the president will be coming here, and uh, Mayor Eric Adams will host him, show him around, where he'll talk about, I guarantee you, taking guns off the streets. But if the president was smart and wanted to survive and wanted to lead his party— Instead of get along with his party, he would say, I need my AGs, my DAs to crack down on crime. I need my mayors to support my cops and firefighters. I need my legislatures in the city council in New York City to get rid of no cash bail. I need my state legislatures to stand up and say, I'm going to give judges the power to put threatening people behind bars as they wait trial. In a reasonable fashion. Part of the reason no cash bail they thought was needed is because people that could not afford even minimum bail were languishing in play horrible place like Rikers Island for a long time as their cast, uh, their cases waited to come up. And they said, well, you know, listen, he's not a threat. I mean, he didn't pay alimony or he didn't do this. And it seems that minorities have less money, less wherewithal. They don't have the finances to bail themselves out. That's a legitimate issue. What isn't a legitimate issue is take dangerous people and put them out and downgrade all these crimes. That's the problem. Constant, uh, Constable Ted Heap spoke yesterday in Houston for a fallen officer that was gunned down uh, on, a, on a what they say is a routine traffic stop. Cut four. We cannot continue to successfully serve the community we love when there's this blatant disregard for life. And it permeates our community. We cannot continue to to serve successfully the community we love when there's this blatant disregard for authority because it doesn't fit a particular narrative. This blatant disregard has to end. He got angrier and angrier, but the bottom line is we're still in this mess. And whether it's Austin or New York, they've all taken money out of the budget and they don't pay their men and women much. I mean, can you imagine $34,000? They put you through the academy uh, they give you $34,000 to go into New York where you're not backed uh, by the police chief. I think this police chief will. My hope this mayor is uh, dramatically better than the previous mayor. But it's not as if you had Rudy Giuliani and Ray Kelly and William Bratton there to watch your back. It's not like that. Brandon Tatum is a former police officer. He was on with Shannon last night. And he talks about not only the attacks, the crime, the carjackings, but how they're targeting cops. Six already in New York. Cut six. Law enforcement officers are feeling heartbroken tonight. And the families of these officers, 
um, are, are devastated. You know, when you lose someone you love and you lose a person who in many cases have great integrity and go out every day to serve their communities with all they have, it's very saddening. And, and it's saddening because a lot of these situations are preventable. I, I wish that the, the leaders of our country will, will produce a better rhetoric uh, so that these officers can feel confident that they are supported and that the community can rally around them um, in cases like this. So I, I really am saddened to see so many officers lose their life and so early in this year and i really pray that it turns around yeah we got to do more than pray we got to pressure pressure nigel farage is next he's a former brexit party leader helped put boris johnson into office man he has been a letdown 16 separate parties when we come back martha mccallum will also join me in studio you know she hosts a show with three but every wednesday she stops here first and don't forget i got my show eight o'clock at night one nation on the fox news channel 8 p.m eastern time you're listening to the brian kilmeade show don't move Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. What I will say to, to the President Putin, as, as I've said before, is that I think we really all need to step back from the brink, and, and I think uh, Russia needs to step back from the brink. I think that an invasion of Ukraine and any incursion uh, into Ukraine beyond the territory that uh, Russia has already taken in 2014 would be an absolute disaster for the world, but above all, it would be a disaster for Russia. A couple of things. That, of course, is Boris Johnson in the middle of uh, an incredible turmoil as uh, prime minister of England. He went over along with the Polish leader to meet with uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine to show unanimity there. At the same time, Vladimir Putin was meeting and addressing his press uh, in Russia about what could be an imminent invasion. As uh, I guess every day that goes by, uh, the Ukrainians getting more and more armed, but it's an uphill battle. Martha McCallum is here in studio. Um, before we go to our next guest, I just have to announce that the CNN president, Jeff Zucker, has just resigned. Evidently, Martha, because he was, it seems as though he's admitting to an affair with a colleague. Yeah, he put out a statement a short time ago that details that when the investigation, the investigation was going on in the Cuomo matter, the Chris Cuomo matter, um, he says, as part of the investigation into Chris Cuomo's tenure at CNN, I was asked about a consensual relationship with my closest colleague, someone I have worked with for more than 20 years. I acknowledged the relationship evolved in recent years. I was required to disclose it when it began, but I didn't. I was wrong. As a result, I am resigning today. And then he goes on to thank uh, everybody at CNN, says he's had nine great years and uh, wishes that it didn't end this way. Wow. We'll talk about that in a second. Another area of expertise is what's going on with the Ukraine and Russia. Nigel Farage joins us now. Uh, Nigel, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Yeah, it's a very tense moment for the world, isn't it? It, it really is. Uh, first off, I, I, what I do, and Martha does not know this, I oftentimes open up my morning at 4 a.m. our time, and I'm watching the BBC and Sky. And I've been watching the turmoil with Boris Johnson uh, 16 separate parties he was directly or indirectly party with while he's locking down a country. How outrageous yep. is that? Well, look, I mean, the first fundamental rule is that lawmakers cannot be lawbreakers. It's just as simple as that. And to lecture us 
to frighten us, to make it against the law to go and visit our elderly relatives who might be in the last few weeks of their lives, to stop us being able to attend funerals, to stop kids going to school, to have the police fining people many, many thousands of pounds, up to £10,000 for holding illegal parties. And yet we find out that within number 10, Dowding Street, that there was a drink culture uh, that permeated everything, um, and that the Prime Minister himself was in, te- was in attendance of all of these, that of itself would be bad enough. But let me tell you what's worse. What's worse is when this begins to come to light, just openly, willfully, repeatedly lying about it. And it's one of the old things in politics. Very often, it's not the sin itself that brings somebody down. It's the attempt to cover it up that makes it even worse. And uh, millions of British people who gave Boris the benefit of the doubt are angry, not just angry that he did what they weren't allowed to, but angry that he tried to lie and cover it up. And, And that means there is now a loss of trust in this prime minister, which, in my opinion, is irreparable. And the longer he stays on in office, It isn't just his reputation that's going down the drain. It's the reputation of the Conservative Party with him. That's where we are. Nigel, Martha McCallum here. Good to be with you today. Uh, I'm thinking about Gavin Newsom. I'm thinking about other examples in this country where we've seen similar things happen, uh, and those people have been able to survive it. So it's very interesting to me that, that Prime Minister Boris Johnson sort of capped off this entire chapter and scandal by releasing all of the restrictions in the UK for everyone. And now he's taking a pretty strong stance uh, along the same lines as the United States in terms of arming Ukraine. So do you think that those two developments will help him to survive this scandal? Well, I think the reason that he's got rid of all the restrictions and that life is now pretty back, pretty much back to normal is because he was forced into it. Uh, we, I'm pleased to say we still have a relatively free press in the United Kingdom, much freer than many other European countries. And there has been a really big fight back here against vaccine mandates, and I've been very involved in that myself, um, and against ludicrous restrictions that don't help anybody. And I think actually... Uh, the freedoms we've been given back, Boris was forced into. So it's difficult for him to accept too much credit for that. On the second point of Ukraine, now this is incredible. So Boris Johnson flew to Kiev yesterday, as Brian reported a few minutes ago. What you didn't say is, and perhaps you don't know, is that the day before, on Monday, there was a scheduled call between Vladimir Putin and Boris Johnson. And that call was scheduled so that he could go to the Ukraine, you know, with some knowledge or at least with some sort of idea. That that phone call had to be cancelled. Johnson went to the Ukraine having not spoken to Putin. Why? Because he had to go to the House of Commons and face humiliation over his attendance at all of these parties. So you see, it isn't just his reputation. It isn't just the reputation of the Conservative Party. He's actually been now forced into a position where he can't run this country and where the UK is not standing tall on the world stage. So, uh, you know, from every angle, wow. this is very, very bad. So very bad. So I want you to hear a little. I watched it. Uh, here's Theresa May, uh, the previous Prime Minister, go after him. Listen. The COVID regulations 
impose significant restrictions on the freedoms of members of the public. They had a right to expect their Prime Minister to have read the rules, to understand the meaning of the rules, and indeed those around, them to have done, around him to have done so too, and to set an example in following those rules. What the Gray Report does show is that Number 10 Downing Street was not observing the regulations they had imposed on members of the public. So either my right honourable friend had not read the rules, or didn't understand what they meant and others around him, or they didn't think the rules applied to Number 10. Which was it? And the crowd roared, and he went over and over again. So will he survive this? Ouch. Ouch, is all I can say, listening to Theresa May. (laughs) Uh, Look, he is not going to survive this. Uh, It will probably be the death by a thousand cuts. With every day that goes by, we get conservative members of parliament and, and prominent conservatives in the country say, he no longer has my support. Uh, we've had two more members of parliament today say that. And, and one or two of these people who are saying they've lost support in him are actually quite senior figures within the party. So he's going through the political death by a thousand cuts. My guess is he might limp on for a few more months, but this is an absolutely fatally damaged Prime Minister. He came in to office, and and if we're being honest about it, uh, you know, it it was my Brexit campaign that really made him Prime Minister. It's true. You you know, I was happy for him to inherit the crown. You know, I was, I guess I was the kingmaker, in a sense. Um, I was happy in 2019, but, you know, two or three things have gone wrong. One, you know, behaving the way they did in Downing Street when the rest of us couldn't, two, lying about it. And the third one is not governing as a Conservative, committing us to a net zero CO2 strategy that will beggar our country, um, raising taxes, <laughs> you know, at this moment in time. Right. You know, he hasn't governed as a Conservative, he's governed as a Liberal. So I'm afraid that uh, his tenure as Prime Minister, is going to be a very, very short one. You know, Nigel, when you look at the situation that's developing in Ukraine and Russia, what's your take on how the United Kingdom is handling it? Well, I think the honest truth, Martha, is that the withdrawal from Afghanistan last August was a catastrophe. Um, I do not think the North Koreans will be firing off rockets as they are. I don't think China... Uh, would be as aggressive in its language towards Taiwan. And I don't believe there'd be 130,000 Russian troops on the Ukrainian border um, if Joe Biden hadn't hopelessly, you know, unilaterally withdrawn American troops and let the Taliban take over again. And so what Putin can see is there are splits within the West. Um, American leadership of the free world uh, is now very open to question. Uh, Can we trust America? after what Biden did last August is is something that we are all talking about. Uh, Germany, of course, have made themselves entirely dependent on Russian gas. Um, And we have a British prime minister who is becoming something of a laughingstock on the world stage. I mean, Putin, I mean, even if Putin doesn't send a single troop over the border, um, he is causing disarray among the Western allies. No question. We can get ourselves a new new prime minister. But ultimately, there's one big fact we have to face. America are the big guys in this. America are the leaders of the free world. we got to start acting like it. Nigel, unfortunately, that's it. Thanks for the great information. We wouldn't have gotten it anywhere else. Thank you, Nigel. Nigel Farage, thank you.
More Martha McCall when we come back. Enough said. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. We have so many different ways to go. I mean, with Nigel Farage, I wanted to originally just talk about the Ukraine. uh, And then you realize how much trouble Boris Johnson's in, the change of leadership there, the disappointment of Joe Biden. How do you not get the British perspective on uh, Biden's exit and all these stories leaking out? about Afghanistan and how bad it was and how clueless this administration was on how bad it was getting on the ground and how they did not want to reveal it. And then we have this other news. We have the funeral going on, the dramatics that go along with that of the second slain officer, the 27-year-old, uh, who was taken out in the prime of his life by this cop killer. And you heard the mayor just speak, and all the eulogies are, are continuing. And then we get the stunning news, Martha McCallum, about Jeff Zucker. Now, I know for people outside television, it's not that big a deal, but just know this. This guy was at NBC. He revitalized the Today Show, became president of NBC. It was his idea to rotate his terrible move, uh, Conan O'Brien in, and then get him out and put Joe, Jay Leno forward, and then put Jay Leno in the other side. He leaves humiliated. Nine years ago, goes to CNN. They had some good years, but right now, they, they can't even break a million viewers in prime time. So they're in possibly the worst stead in their history, losing Chris Cuomo, who was, like it or not, he was their most popular primetime host. And now we see the other shoe drop because Cuomo was very aggressive in leaving after he was fired, went from suspension to being firing. And now we see Jeff Zucker just resign. Now, you've been jotting this down in your notebook, getting ready for your show at 3 o'clock. What are we discovering? Well, as you point out, it's interesting to go back on the history of CNN, right? It was the the first cable news network. It became the go-to place for people who didn't want to just get news for a couple of hours in the morning and then 6 p.m. at night. It changed the landscape under Ted Turner's uh, direction and ownership of news, right? Um, and, and to this day, there are a lot of people who aren't big news consumers who will just turn on CNN if something's happening, right? But the problem is that in the past nine years, it has turned into a very politically driven news environment. Very anti-Trump. Jeff Zucker made a personal vendetta to get back Absolutely. at Trump and vice versa. And remember, there were, you know, um, discussions that were taped and revealed about the anti-Trump driven agenda at CNN. Right. But, the you know, there's a super gossipy side of this whole story that I think is going to come out um, over the course of, you know, digging into it. And that is that if it's true that Jeff, I mean, he, he's admitting in his goodbye that he had a relationship with one of his closest colleagues. And there's a lot of stuff out there about um, the executive vice president, Alison Gallus, and whether or not she is the person that he's referring to. I cannot confirm that here, but you'll see a lot of that is out there already. Very strong speculation. Uh, a high-powered on that. executive, but not a high-powered person. The executive vice president of, of CNN. Now, um, as I said, there's been a lot of sort of speculation about that relationship. But the question that comes up is, is the really tense situation when Chris Cuomo was suspended and then fired by Jeff Zucker. They had a really close relationship. Uh, and then Cuomo turned around because he was getting unceremoniously fired and also losing $18 million in his contract because of the way he was let go and the reason that he was let go um, and whether or not 
the he hired a big time lawyer to go after CNN to get the money back and whether or not all of this has spilled out. Actually, as Zucker admits in his in his resignation note um, that it came out as a result of the investigation to Chris Cuomo. So that there's a lot of backstory here. Brian Stelter tweets out, Jeff and I have been close friends and professional partners for over 20 years. Recently, our relationship changed during COVID. I regret that we didn't disclose we didn't disclose it at the right time. Allison Gollist says in a statement. So, so I she's, guess she's, she's admitting it. Fessing up to their relationship, Through which, Brian as I Stelter. said, has been very openly speculated upon all over the place. So uh, between Jeffrey Tubin, between uh, Chris Cuomo, between now Jeff Zucker, uh, best of luck over there. Yeah. Uh, good luck. I mean, it raises, they, he's been divorced since 2018, Jeff Zucker. He's a divorced. Um, individual who started dating and having a relationship with somebody that he worked with. I have no idea when that relationship began, um, but of his own accord, he's decided that he's going to resign because he feels that it was inappropriate. But you don't know what Cuomo else has. I mean, Cuomo's go nope. for the jugular nope. by nature. Yep. Uh, and again, what else have and what else is going to be coming down the pike? It, because of a relationship you had as a single guy and you didn't do it earlier, to me, that's a human resources reprimand. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not an expert in that area. Yeah. But the other thing that, that's going on, well, one thing is pretty clear. Jeff Zucker's caught on tape coaching Donald Trump through a debate. Mm-hmm. And then at which time he, Donald Trump, when he realized how negative and how unfair he believed CNN was covering him, he went after Jeff Zucker. And then when he wins, Zucker made his personal vendetta to get back at him, as did Trump at him. So Trump must be having a great day. Oh, I'm sure he is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he is. Meanwhile, a lot of emotion today at the uh, the death of this police officer. And you got to see some of these overhead shots. And we have some drone video and we have some overhead video of how many men and women in blue and dress blues retired. They put on their uniforms, they put on their dress outfits, and they come back to salute the fallen. And here's a little of this the mayor, Eric? Yeah, uh, Eric Adams. Last night, we were reminded again about the danger and overproliferation of guns that are carving highways of death. Even when the bullet hits the body of our citizens, the emotional trauma continues to rip the anatomy of our city and the pathway never ends from generations to come. An off-duty officer was shot and wounded on his way to work. The work of protecting New Yorkers, defending our city. The work Officer Mora was doing he was, when he was killed in the line of duty. Those of us who have put on the uniform know what happened to Officer Mora could happen to us any day. So uh, Eric Adams, very good speaker, speaker of the motion. He was very uh, strong on Friday, and he's talking about a 22-year-old cop last night, Martha, who, when he was driving to work in plain clothes, two young men uh, stopped by. He was stopped at the red light. Two men came up to him, and he got out of the car, and they shot him, and he ends up being brought to the hospital. It looks like he's in stable condition right now. That's the sixth cop shot this calendar year. unbelievable. Uh, so this morning on my way to work, I kept getting passed on the turnpikes in New Jersey by huge caravans of police cars with their lights on. I'm sure it was probably the same in Long Island. Um, 
and I was so struck by it. So when I got to work, I went over to Fifth Avenue and walked around St. Pat's and spent some time, you know, thanking these police officers for what they do. And they're so happy when you just look them in the eye and say, thank you. Um, we know you put your lives on the line every day for us and we appreciate it. Simple thank you uh, goes a long way. They, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen so many police officers lining the streets up and down Fifth Avenue and reading the patches on their shoulders, Philadelphia, Staten Island, um, all over New Jersey, Long Island, upstate New York, Warwick, New York, all over. They came to show their respects for this police officer and for his partner, Jason Rivera, as well. So I asked. Uh, so I know a lot of, I, mean, I think half my town is firefighters and policemen. And I asked, like, what, what do they start at? And and a lot of them didn't know because a lot of them are retired. Once you're in your 40s, you have an opportunity to retire if you start right out of college or right instead of. Starting salary for the NYPD, $32,700. And this mayor just said, I want you living in the city. Really? Right? We're in a homeless Can't shelter? Can't afford it. $32,000? Do I get to eat? Uh, that's And they goes, uh, Suffolk County, which is, think about the Hamptons and think about more of a rural area, 42000 Nassau starts at 35000 will go up to 121000 after nine years. So that's a lot of risk. Now, I know there's sometimes when it's downtime and it's a little boring, but they're also freezing to death. You know, at the time when you didn't even want to go outside to get the mail, there's guys working a 12-hour shift yep. outside. Yep. Uh, and they don't do it for the glory. And then it's okay. I mean, for a while, and we experienced this, people wanted to take pictures with the policemen with the NYPD hats. Mm. And that's changed. My hope is that we hit, say, hit a tipping point. Am I wrong to think that? Do you feel the same way, that we hit a tipping well, point? Well, I certainly felt it out there this morning. And I I wish that President Biden, who's coming tomorrow, and he's going to meet with Eric Adams, and that's good. I hope that that will expand the conversation about what a daunting crime problem we have in this country right now, which some people seem to think is is made up, which is ridiculous when you look at these numbers. But wouldn't it be great if President Biden was sitting next to Eric Adams in the front row of St. Patrick's today? Why not? Showing his solidarity with these police officers. I mean, how how could that be a Bad. losing proposition? I mean, you might have some, you know, most fringe progressives who get upset about this. Those aren't the people that you want to be aligning yourself with anyway, right? I mean, this is a person who ran as a moderate president. There's no doubt that a couple decades ago, Joe Biden would have loved sitting in that front row with the police officers at a moment like this to show that he stands with them. And, you know, the argument, oh, well, it's too distracting to the, we don't want to take away. No, 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 no. Distract us, please. Come and, you know, New York City can handle having a president and a funeral for a police officer at the same time. There's no doubt. Martha, let's just play the political side of this. Forget about sincerity. Let's just put it aside. What political consultant would not have said what you said for him? Absolutely. Politically, just forget it. Hey, Joe, I, I know you don't like the cops. Let's say, but if you show up, this could reverse things. You could be leading on crime. And then if you have a one-on-one with Alvin Bragg, who wants to put criminals first, and then you yeah. say, I'm going to have an emergency. I'm going to call those two DAs out in California to see them. And I'm going to ask the Chicago. And you just have an emergency situation. We're going to recalibrate our view on crime. We overcorrected, which we thought was an overaggression in the 90s, yeah. I guess. I mean, just stand up and say, look, we all remember George Floyd. We all remember the difficult times that followed. There are bad cops in the world, just like there are bad teachers and bad priests. Bad people are out there. But we cannot 
broad stroke this entire profession of people who are here to help us. He could say this. He could say, let's build a bridge between what happened with George Floyd and this moment now where our hearts are broken for these young police officers who have lost their lives. Let's build a bridge to build a safer environment in cities across New York. He could say, I'm going to stand here with Eric Adams. I want to stand side by side with him. Then I'm going to get on the phone with the New York State Legislature and talk to them about bail reform. And I'm going to talk to them about this rule that basically says you can't prosecute anyone under 18. You know how many people under 18 are carjacking and stealing cars all around the metropolitan area in New York City right now? They can't even get busted for it. The police can't follow them down the road once they they drive off with a car. So we need change. And, you know, President Biden has a long career as a moderate Democrat. He ran that way. He said he was he said, remember when he said, I'm the Democratic Party now. Okay, go ahead. Do it. Be it. Be that person. Let's see. But he was Bernie. That's what he was. I guarantee you his poll numbers would go up seven, eight points if you did this. So a couple of things. Do you realize, too, that what they're working on now is electoral college reform, bipartisan. What they did is. uh, Everywhere I go, people are talking about that. Yeah, I know. Aren't they? (laughs) That's a good point. I'm being sarcastic. But infrastructure, too, they did it. He didn't even have a signing ceremony for it. So all on the side, he'd go, hey, uh, Mitch, you know, we've been buddies 50 years. We're both going to die soon. Uh, what else can we work on together? Just pump out five or six of them and just like rock everybody, yeah. rock every political side. Go, wow, I'm having trouble getting mad at him because he's kind of meeting with half exactly. my guys. And, and he would, all of those liberal or moderate yeah. voters who live in suburbs around Shake this country would, would be like, that's the Joe Biden I wanted to to be president. They, yeah. would look, they would sit up and say, thank you. That's exactly the person I thought I was voting for, right? And on infrastructure, I mean, I don't understand. If I worked at the White House right now, I'd say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to roll out three big projects. We're going to show people, people with shovels, steamrollers, here are the three bridges that are be- we just started and broke ground on. Yeah. These bridges, we, we commit to you. They will be done in eight months. We're going to show you the beginning of the bridge and the end of the bridge production. You're going to be amazed when you see how gleaming this country can be. Where is it? Yeah. And that's one thing I think that Trump would do because Trump loves that oh, stuff. Oh, he would. He'd be he out there with structure. his shovel. He'd yeah. say, you know, this this project should take 22 months, but I'm going to do it in five. You yeah. know, I mean, that's that's what would happen. There's nothing wrong with that. It's great. People love productivity and efficiency. They love it. Right. Uh, so Martha McCallum's going to tell us what's coming up on her show. It's changing. I'm watching a notebook now. Yeah. Uh, and we're just writing the latest on the, the drama that's taking place on, on Fifth Avenue in St. Patrick's. Uh, we're seeing the president's coming here tomorrow. We also have not talked about the Afghanistan report that leaked out in Axios that showed how clueless and what a catastrophe uh, behind the scenes, it was in Afghanistan. We saw what happened in front of the scenes. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Dear Wilbur, I never got the chance to tell you how truly special I thought you were. I remember how you always lit up the room with your smile, always happy and mellow, easy vibes, not an ounce of meanness in your whole body. When you got up in the morning, you were always going to mom and hugging her, and kissing her and being silly and doing a a funny belly dance. You were always so affectionate with everyone you got close to. I love how close 
and loyal you were with your friends and how much you value their friendships. The brother of William of Wilbert Morrow, the second officer to die after that Harlem ambush last week, and it's still going on right now at St. Patrick's. Martha McCallum here. Martha, I imagine you're going to be covering this, the, the, the look at crime. What else do you have on tap at three in this ever-evolving news day? Yeah, we're going to talk to John Ratcliffe, the former DNI, about the situation that's unfolding on the border in Ukraine. It was an interesting decision to move those troops forward to Eastern European countries. Poland is going to get a fair amount of them. And the other day, we heard from Admiral John Kirby at, at the state at the Pentagon that there would be no movement of troops unless the unless NATO was activated, unless NATO activated the response. But they didn't do that. But now we're moving troops. So the question is why? What changed? What is the change in strategy? So we're going to talk about that with John Ratcliffe coming up. We're also going to talk about this Johns Hopkins study, which is just extraordinary, uh, which verifies a a lot of things that I think people had a gut feeling about. We've seen what has happened with cloth masks. We've seen what's now being revealed about lockdowns. And we're going to talk to uh, Dr. Amish Adalja about that today. So when you talk about that, let's stop there. Uh, So Johns Hopkins has a study and they say, hey, what are the effect of this uh, two and a half year lockdown? And they basically said uh, the mortality rate, 0.02% difference. Really? So you've destroyed livelihoods, lives, uh, mental stability. We've missed weddings and funerals and births um, and countless opportunities with or without the vaccine. They're saying it did no good. Think about this. Don't walk outside on the beach by yourself. We had cops walking on the beach telling people, if you're not in the same family, separate your towels. Mm -hmm. Remember that? We're going to pour sand in a skate park. And now you're saying by ruining your career, by collapsing leagues and bars and restaurants, you are now saying it, at least I sacrificed for the greater good, but it didn't, did it, Martha? No, it didn't. And one of the things that really struck me in this study is the comparisons to 1918, which is referenced in a national review piece about the study. And it says that the results are in line with the WHO writing in 2006. It stated, quote, reports from the 1918 influenza pandemic indicate that social distancing measures did not stop or appear to dramatically reduce transmission. So what was true then turns out to be true now. Um, in terms of what we understand about viruses and the way they work. Real quick, we have less than a minute, but Joe Rogan came out and pointed out with non-defensively about the origin of the virus, about masks and vaccines, what they said it would do and was proven incorrect. You called it misinformation. I call it new information. He should add a fourth. Now we find out lockdowns didn't work. He was had the, had the audacity to ask that question. I really fear that he's going to be taken down. On Spotify. That's my fear that if Taylor Swift and well, others. Let, let, let me just say one act. more thing for this National Review article then. It says the scientific method needs heterodox voices to speak freely if it is to function properly. In other words, you have to have varying different opinions discuss this in order to get the best scientific. Remember, Dr. Fauci, I am science. No. Turns out there's a lot of different things here. Right. My opinion, he's a disgrace. Martha McCall, I'm going to watch you at 3 o'clock. Thanks, Thanks so much. Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.